be here together as a family to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I know that, that um, as the summertime happens, sometimes we, our minds get, they wander and they, they get all over the place. And sometimes we're thinking about a thousand other things besides uh, the reality of, of being in your presence, God. Uh, the reality of just being able to, to be in the, a routine of being able to hear from you, being able to worship you. God, I know that that sometimes as we go on vacation, we get out of the routine of just being in your presence, God, and, and, and being in your house. And Lord, I just pray that tonight we would get our minds and our hearts fixed on you, that every single thing that's a distraction to us would fade into the background. God, so we might be able to hear from you and from you alone. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, I pray that he would move in our hearts and in our lives right now. God, we might be able to hear something that would change us forever. God, we are so thankful, God, that we have this word, that we have this time to be able to hear from you. God, I pray that we would not take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been in this series called No Matter What. Uh, and as I thought about what is the what, right? So that's the question, right? What's the what in the no matter what? Uh, for some of us, it is ourselves. That is the what. And sometimes we think that we are not qualified, we are not able, our circumstances are not in such a way that we cannot accomplish whatever it is. So we say to God, we say this, we say, God, no matter what, I'm going to follow you. No matter what, I'm going to be obedient to you. No matter what, I'm going to do what you have called me to do. And sometimes that what is the obstacle, and that obstacle is the thing that is going on in our minds that says, you can't really do that. You say no matter what, but really, in the back of your mind, there's something that stands between you and being able to do whatever it is this thing is that God may be calling you to do. We say that we've given God a blank check, but really, there's a limitation on it. We haven't completely filled out the check yet. We haven't signed the check completely. We just said, yeah, I want to give him a blank check, but I really haven't in a lot of ways. And sometimes, the reason for that is we just don't feel qualified. Like, we're just not able to, you know, that, that there's no way that God could really use me in that capacity. There's no way that God could ever uh, use me to do this or that um, because I'm just not there. There's too many things maybe in my background, in my history, things that I have done or things that I have said or the testimony in my life that doesn't speak well and it doesn't, I don't look like an ambassador of God when you look at my life. And we've got this big looming thing hanging over us that says, you really can't do that. You really can't write him a blank check even though you say that you can. There's still some things that are hindering you from being able to write that check. So uh, I got to thinking about this, and uh, there's an example that I know of personally. A, a friend of mine, the church that he goes to, they have this ministry, and I've told you guys this before. They have this ministry called the Kairos Ministry. And, and, and the Kairos Ministry is one... Kairos is a Greek word meaning God timing. It just means this is God's time. Um, so this ministry is all about reaching out to prisons. And they go into prisons and they minister to people. And they actually have the sermon simulcast into these prisons. And uh, they meet with prisoners on a regular basis. And the pastor of this church, they said he came out of the Kairos ministry. And somebody was asking, they said, man... He came out of the Kairos ministry. I bet when he was in the Kairos ministry, he led a lot of people to the Lord. I bet when he visited the churches, the, the visited with the church and go and visit the prisons, 
he, they said, man, I bet he just he won a lot of prisoners to Christ. And probably through that, it probably stirred him up. And he said, you know what? I, if I'm winning prisoners to Christ, then I can win other people to Christ. And that's how we stepped up to be the pastor of the church. I bet that's how that happened. And he said, no, that's not how it happened. See, I was on the other side of the table. I was one of them. It was somebody that ministered to me and told me about Jesus. And that's the reason I'm standing up here before you today. He said, I was one of the prisoners. I wasn't somebody that was super qualified, that had everything laid out and got this, this great, amazing uh, testimony of their lives about how, how they've been able to do everything right forever and all this kind of stuff. No, I was in prison. And that then in turn turned into his true testimony, which is to say, look how God can transform somebody. Uh, for me personally, um, I, I wasn't, <laughs> and I still am not, any kind of Bible scholar. You know, that was always one of my hindrances when I first started in ministry. I was like, I don't know a heck of a lot about the Bible. I just don't. You know, I started to study and I started to learn things and God started to show me things. And I was like, this is really cool. I want to study and I want to know more. And the more I studied, the more I began to know and the more I began to understand. And then these pieces started to fill in and I started to put pieces together. And it's like, okay, now I'm starting to get things. Because the first time I ever taught at all, I, I've told you guys this too, I taught a Sunday school lesson. The Sunday school lesson I taught, I don't know what I talked about, as a matter of fact. All I know is the two illustrations I gave. I gave two illustrations in that Sunday school class. This was, I was probably about 30 years old, and I was talking to a bunch of teenagers. And the two illustrations I gave, one was about spinner hubcaps, spinner wheels, uh, and the other was about Richard Simmons' shorts. I don't know what those two things had to do with the Bible, but that was the two illustrations that I gave. And I'm not kidding. I wish... I wish I could remember what I was actually talking about, but that was the two illustrations. And more than likely, the people that were listening that day, that's probably about all they got out of it, too. Um, but I will say that as God kind of shapes you and molds you and changes you, um, yeah, you don't necessarily have to have like this, this great, awesome background, this, this great, awesome place in your life where you're able to say, man, I am ready to go. More than likely, you're going to be in a, a place of happenstance. It's just where I happen to be, when you write that check, that blank check to God, you're not writing it based on any other qualifications. You're saying, God, you have my life. You do whatever you want to do with it, and I'm just going to follow and obey you. And if you listen to any great preacher, any great uh, theologian, any great minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll say the same thing. They're like, you know what? I just did what God said to do, and he did all the work. That's the way God gets the glory from it. It's because you're not equipped on your own. You're not capable on your own. You're not a great communicator, great speaker uh, on your own. It's got to be through the power of God, and the power of God is evident in your life. And uh, we're going to talk about a lady today um, who had a big what in her life. And it was, uh, it was her career. It was her, her lifestyle that was actually could have been a huge stumbling block to her. But instead, she didn't let that stop her from being used of God. And because of that... Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it away yet. We'll we'll talk about that at the very end. I, I just I gave you a little teaser, right? So it's like a soap opera. You got to stay till the end. All right. So in Joshua chapter two, so what has happened? So Moses has died, and, and Joshua is got to go, and he's got to take the land that God has promised them, uh, the land of Canaan. He he has promised to the people of Israel. And one of the first places they've got to go is Jericho. One of the first cities they've got to take is Jericho. Now, Jericho 
is a very difficult place to take. The Canaanites, they're a mighty army. They're strong. Uh, the, the walls of Jericho are very thick. Um, they have archers on top of the walls of Jericho. I mean, it's like a very difficult place to penetrate to begin with. And so uh, Joshua, what he does is he, he sends spies into Jericho to see what it's going to take to be able to take over Jericho. Uh, God has instructed him to do this, so uh, he's going to send some spies in. In Joshua chapter 2, it says, Joshua secretly sent two spies from the Israel camp of Achai Grove and instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially Jericho. He sent two men, sent two men out and, and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. So these two men are spies of the Lord, and they're going into to Jericho to see what the city looks like, what the army looks like. And if you're going to try to take over another army, one of the things that you really should do is scout them out and see, number one, how many of them are there, you know? I mean, if you're going to say, all right, we've got 50, they've got 4,000, maybe we should consider what kind of plan we need to put together. You know what I mean? Like you want to evaluate things. Y yes, God told them to do this, but God also tells them to be wise about it, right? So here he's sending two spies into Jericho to see what things look like and to actually get a vibe in the city of, of what they're thinking and if they know about the Israelites and what they think of the Israelites. That's, that's one of the things he sent them in there to, to gather information about. So they're spies. They're going in to check things out. It says that they go into Jericho and they're wandering around the city and they're, they're trying to, to figure things out. And, and it says they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, don't get all crazy with your ideas about what that means, okay? Just because they stayed at the house of a prostitute, there's no indication of that that means anything else besides the fact that they stayed there. The indication is, is that Rahab gave them a place to stay. These are Israelite men coming into Jericho to scout it out to be able to take them over. Now, she's a Canaanite. She, she actually, that, this is her people. They're coming in to take over her people, and she knows that the Israelites, when they go into a place, man, they're going to they're gonna kill people. And here, she's got a choice. I mean, she could, she could thwart all their plans. She's got this, this choice, right? She could thwart all their plans and say, here's two spies. They're in my house. Y'all go get them. Take them out. And that would, at least, at the very least, it would disrupt what Joshua was planning to do as he goes into Jericho. Now they got to send more spies in, or they got a spy from the outside looking in, something like that. they got to figure out another plan. But instead, she gives them a place to stay. You ask yourself, well, why, why would she do that? I ask myself the same question. The only thing I can think is that we'll, we'll go on and we'll look at, at what happens here, but... She's starting to get a glimpse of who the Lord really is and the power of the Lord. And, he, and he's starting to reveal himself through the Israelite people. The Israelite people are starting to show how mighty and how great their God is. They've been delivered out of Egypt, and now they've been, they've been wandering around, and now they're coming to a place where they've got to go in, and they've got to go into the place that God has promised them. And, and, and maybe word has gotten out about what has happened to the Egyptian army, that, that the fact that that the, the, the seas parted and the Egyptian army, they got washed away once the Israelites walked across on dry, dry land. This word has gotten out now. And people know that this God that the Israelites serve is a real God. And that word is starting to spread. So let's look at what it says here. 
But someone told the king of Jericho, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now somebody ratted her out. Somebody said, hey, we saw the two spies. We know the Israelites, and they went into Rahab's house. So the king gets word of this, and what does he do? He's like, well, we got to go get them. So then he, he says, all right, go get Rahab. They're in her house. Go get Rahab. Find out the story. Let's find Because I'm sure that they are looking for these guys. She, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had hidden them up to the roof, and she had taken them up to the roof and hid them beneath uh, bundles of flax she had laid out. So what has happened here? This lady is so convinced that she's on the right side by hiding these men out that she's willing to lie to the king. I don't know if you know this or not, but it, if you're in that day and that time, it's not good to lie to the king. If he finds out you're lying, he doesn't even have to tell anybody to kill you. They'll just kill you, and they'll say, you know what? You lied to the king. You're going to die, especially about a, a foreign army that's coming in to try to take over your kingdom. You lie to the king about these spies that have come in, and you say, I mean, she made up her mind in an instant. I've got to lie to the king. And that's, that's what she does. She says, you know what? They came in earlier, but they're gone. I don't, I don't know where they went. You know, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know where they came from. So I just know they came in, and now they're gone. So that, that's all. And the whole time, I know, you know how it is, like uh, when they have the lie detector test, you know? What do they test for? They put all these probes on your head, and on your, they test your heart rate. They test your blood pressure. They test to see if the sweat's popping out on your forehead. It's a good thing they didn't have a lie detector back then because she's standing in front of the king. She's got to give this lie to the king. And I'm sure she's got like little beads of sweat popping out on her forehead. She's probably like wiping like, oh, it's so hot in here today. You know, the air conditioner must be out, you know. She's in front of the king and she's got to tell this, this lie to try to cover up for the spies that are hiding out in her roof. Now, the indication is if she's got these bundles of, of flax laying up there that, that um, uh, she has you know, the ability to do some other things, to, uh, to, to make clothes or to make things, and that's the reason she has these bundles of flax up there. And so um, it's not that she necessarily uh, was only a prostitute, it looks like. It looks like she could have been doing some other stuff, and maybe she had two jobs, and maybe that was just one of the things that she did. But that was a lifestyle that she had chosen, uh, was a lifestyle of a prostitute. Now, if you know anything about a prostitute in today's time or in their time, um, it's, it's a job that is looked way, way down upon, obviously. Um, it's just looked as something that, that's uh, despised, and it's the lowest of the low. If you're to the point where you're having to, to sell yourself out, uh, to give yourself away for money, um, it, it's, it's just looked, looked down upon, you know? And even in Jesus' day, when... When they're talking about the lowest of the low, they talk about the tax collectors and the prostitutes, uh, both of which have sold themselves out in a lot of ways. And, and here, this is a lady who probably doesn't have a whole lot of self-respect because of the things that 
she has done to be able to gain money and put a roof over her head. But here she has this opportunity. I think she starts to, anytime you get close to God, anytime you start to see God for who he really is, you begin to see yourself for who you really are. You, you recognize that? that it, the more, I mean, that's the reason some people don't come to church. It's because they don't want to see themselves for who they are. They're afraid of actually looking in the mirror and seeing who they really are. Uh, and they certainly don't want to compare themselves to Scripture because once they do that and they see their sin for what it really is, it really makes them feel bad. And people don't want to feel bad about who they are. So a lot of times they don't even come to church for that reason. The people that come to church are the people that can deal with the fact that we're broken and we're desperate in need of a Savior because of who we are. We recognize that. That's the people that come to church. It's not the people who have got it all together. It's the people that recognize that they don't have it all together. That's the people who end up coming to church. The people that can acknowledge, man, I'm broken. I, I'm sinful. I've got things that are wrong with me. I've got a past that's terrible. And, and you know what? I need a redeemer. I need somebody that can bring me back from that because I know who I am when I lay down at night. And I think what's happened here in Rahab's life is she's starting to look at maybe her life a little bit. And I think it's unavoidable. The closer you get to God and the closer you get to God's people, the more you begin to examine yourself. And I think that's probably what's happened to Rahab here. Now, she could have used that as an obstacle. She could have said, you know what? God doesn't even know who I am. God doesn't care who I am because I'm a low-life prostitute. That's all I am. But here, she sees an open door, and she sees the way that God can use her. She recognizes the power of God because of the story she's heard about God and, and here, what we see is her pushing past her past to get in a place where God can use her. And one of the things that we have to do if we're really truly going to write God a blank check with our lives is we have to, we have to throw away the register, if you will. You know, we have, The register is what keeps track. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say a check register, so I'll have to explain it. So in the olden days, people would keep a register of all the checks that they had written so they would know what their balance was in their checkbook. Some of you older people know what I'm talking about. Younger people, it's all done online. I get it. Okay. But you kept a register of all the things that you had, you had paid for, and then that's what told you how much money you had in the bank. And every once in a while, you could probably call them up on the phone and check that balance and see if it actually matched. That's the old school way of doing things. What I'm saying by that is saying that as you write God a blank check for your life, you have to throw away the idea of what I've done in the past, what I, what I have messed up in the past, what I have, what I have um, the things that I have done to break the heart of God. I've got to throw those things away so that I can write that blank check to God. Because when you write that blank check to God, you're writing it for any amount, right? That's what a blank check is. When you say no matter what and you write a blank check, you're saying no matter what it is. And it's got to be irregardless of what you have in the bank because in reality, what you recognize is that you've got nothing in the bank to begin with. There's nothing good inside of you. You have nothing to offer to God. It's all his, his account. It's all his account. So you're just, you're, you're writing a check, say whatever I have, which is nothing, it all belongs to you. And he says, I know, but what you have is mine to begin with. I know that sounds very confusing, but that's the way that it works. You say, you know what? Keeping track of all I've done in the past, it's not going to amount to anything anyway. Good, bad, or ugly, I've got to throw that away so that I can truly write that blank check to God and say no matter what. And I believe that's what's happened to Rahab here. I believe that Rahab's saying, you know what? Regardless of where I've been and what I've done, I've got a chance to be used of God right now, so that's what I'm going to do. 
Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So what happens? He sends the guys out. The gates are shut. I'm sure that, you know, the spies probably are kind of like, what are we going to do now? The gates are shut. But it just so happens that God has set this up in such a way that it works out perfectly. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. Now, this is interesting that Rahab is going up to talk to these men who are Israelites, and she's a Canaanite. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. What a powerful statement by a Canaanite. I know. She doesn't say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I imagine to be true. This is what I suppose. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the town is living in terror. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we had heard of how the Lord made a dry path for you on the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you, what you did in Shino and Og and the, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have been melted into fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That is a profession of faith right there. That is someone that says, you know, I have heard. She, she lists all the things that she has heard, right? And just because you have heard those things don't, doesn't necessarily mean that you believe those things. Well, she affirms her belief by saying... For, your Lord, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of, heaven, of the heavens above and the earth below. She is saying, your God is God. And that is the requirement of faith right there. Is to say, your God is who he says he is. She goes on to affirm that faith by saying this. This is how much I know it is true. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all their families. This is what she says. She says, you're going to win. This pagan says that your God is real and you're going to win. And I know it. That's a pretty big statement from a Canaanite prostitute. Your God is the real God, and I know you're going to win. I put you up, and I, I sheltered you and covered you up and tried to protect you because I know that you're going to win. You say, well, maybe she was just trying to protect herself, and maybe she was just like, you know, looking out for her family. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know why I don't think so? Because I, I, I look at the way she is saying these things and the fact that she is talking to these Israelite men hid out in, in, her, in her attic, basically, right? I mean, she has the, the, the ability in her hands to toss this thing one way or the other, right? She has the ability in her hands to say, you know what, those guys that came, they're actually hiding out in my roof. Go find them and take them out. 
But she is so convinced of who the Lord really is that she says, you know what? I know who your Lord is, and I know that he's real, and I know that because he's real, you're going to win. So when you win, she didn't say if you win, when you win, I want to be one of you. Now, what was going to happen? Let me ask you this question. If they are saved and the rest of Jericho is wiped out, what's going to happen to Rahab and her family? What people are they going to live with once all of Jericho is wiped out? She's going to live with the Israelites. She's going to be one of them, right? She's going to be incorporated into their family. And I believe that that's what she's looking forward to. You know, she could have said, she could have said, man, just, just, uh, just look out for us. And, and when everything's said and done, like, like we're just going to split. And, and, but that's not what ends up happening. That's not what ends up happening. When she says that, that she wants her family to be taken care of and she wants her, her not to die and her family not to die and her mother and her father and her brothers and sisters and all their families not to die, she's basically saying, I want to be one of you guys. I want to be with you. I want to be a part of you. I'll tell you why I know that. I'm going to stop right there in, in Joshua chapter 2 for a second. And I want to read to you something out of Matthew chapter 1. It goes on to list the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 5, it says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And it goes on to list all the way up to Jesus, who is in the lineage of King David. We see what had happened when Rahab turned her life over to the Lord. This is somebody who was a Canaanite, and now she is married into the Israelite family in such a way that she even belongs in the lineage of David and then ultimately in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, a Canaanite prostitute. Now you look at that and you say, well, she had some things stacked against her. Am I right? She had some things that they were probably standing in her way mentally that says, there's no way that God can use me. I'm a Canaanite, first of all, and I'm a prostitute. There's no way that God can use me. Not true. Not true. Some of us, we look around at ourselves. You know what? I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I wasn't raised going to church every week. I wasn't, I wasn't raised this way. I didn't do this. I did some bad things when I was a teenager. I did some bad things when I was in college. I did some bad things as an adult. There's no way that God can use me. Take that somewhere else. Because that doesn't belong in here. Because it doesn't belong in here. It's not the way that God works. You know what God uses? A willing soul. 
somebody who believes he is who he says he is, and they do what he, sa- what, what he says to do, and that's who he uses. All that other stuff that's in your log of all the other things that you've done, you've got to throw that away to be able to write that blank check. It's actually pretty cool that she is uh, recorded uh, as one of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 11. It says that it was by her faith, Rahab the prostitute obeyed God and wasn't crucified or wasn't slaughtered with those that did not obey. In the whole history of, of all of these great people of God that have been used by God, listed, listed in Hebrews chapter 11, she gets listed in there and it says, you know what? She wasn't slaughtered like those who didn't obey. She still has the title of prostitute even in that list. But at the same time, she's not listed as those who didn't obey. She's listed as somebody who did obey. And and she obeyed because of her faith. Her faith is what mattered the most. And that long list of heroes of the faith, she's one of them. So I say all this to say that there's a lot of things that we like to use as excuses. A lot of reasons why we, th- we think that God can't use us. When we say no matter what, we tend to put stipulations on that. And it's usually because of something that exists within our own minds. It's not something that exists within the heart of God. See, when, the God, when God says you're forgiven, when God says you really believe in me, you're really one of my children, that settles it all. All the things that you've done in your past, all of that fades into the background and God doesn't see it anymore. You know what he sees when he sees you? If you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All those things that make you think that you're incapable or unable, they're all lies that don't come from God. I think that we see evidence of that right here in the the person of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute in the lineage of Jesus Christ, being able to be used by the people of God to take over the place that God had promised them. She, uh, she let down a, a red rope out of her window. The spies had promised her, you know what? We'll know that it's you and your family if you'll just kind of hang a rope out of that same window. She let them down out of the window so they could run off to hide and then ultimately report back to Joshua what they had found. And, and it gave the Israelites, I believe that it gave them a real zeal and passion to go and fight when, when they heard that, you know what, the people of, of Jericho are terrified of who we are. They are terrified of the God that we serve. And I think that motivated them on, and I think that that's one of the main reasons why they were able to take over Jer- Jericho as a result of what Rahab had done. She hung a red rope out, and they said, just hang a red rope outside that window that we just crawled down, and we won't come in, and we won't, we won't do anything to your family or you. It was the indication... The people in there were safe. It was red. It was red. Just like the blood of Jesus Christ, it was red. It was red. You know how you know that you're, you're safe, that you're one of those, that you're one that, that God is going to protect, that one that he's going to keep? It's not because of anything that you have done. It's because of what he has done. It's because of the blood that he shed on the cross and the fact that he gave you a red rope, basically. A rope that indicates that you're one of his, that you're on his side, and that was given through his blood. 
So today, whatever it is that you have standing in your way, whatever obstacle exists in your mind, you know what? You need to throw it away. You need to throw it away for one reason, and that's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for the reality of the testimony of Rahab. Lord, I just pray that, that it is spoken to people, people that may feel like they're unable or incapable or there's something that exists in their past that keeps them from being able to serve you fully. Lord, I pray that they have seen that that has all been taken away with the bread blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that, that for people in here that, that don't know you, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know you fully. God, maybe they've said uh, something, but it's not truly been from their heart. God, they haven't truly confessed that you are Lord. God, maybe they've seen the, the evidence, the fact that, that Rahab truly confessed who you are. And because of that, God, she was one of your people. Or maybe there's somebody in here that has not ever truly confessed you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray for that person. God, I pray that they would be able to let everything go today. God, that they would recognize that it was all nailed to the cross and it was all as a result of the blood that was shed on that cross. God, the fact that they can have a relationship with you. That they can be used by you mightily, God, because of the blood that was shed on the cross. God, I pray that you would move in a great way in this place. God, I pray that you would use these people, the people that are here, to be able to do great things for your kingdom that nothing would stand in the way of them writing that blank check for you and for your kingdom God thank you so much for this time I pray that we respond in obedience like Rahab God during this time in Jesus name